One of the reasons that the church is finding it hard to adjust to change is that we we haven't given young people enough permission to experiment. And then as they experiment, we need to work with them and give them that theological framework uh, and work together with the generations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Shock Resorber podcast. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different today, but I am joined, as usual, by my normal co-host. I have Tim sitting with me here on the couches. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm doing very well. I realised I'm in the host seat. Yeah, I know. You're trying to usurp me. Yeah. There. <laughs> it's all yours, Joe. We're, 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 we're going all over the place today, um, mixing it up. And also, Stu, you're joining us online, mate. Um, that's why we've got headphones on here, but you're, you're there um, across, across the internet divide. How are you going? Yeah, good. Yeah, here at my place. It's uh, exciting to be trying something different. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, we're, we're, we're trying something different, but I think it's going to work really well. So we're thankful for technology to help us be able to do that. Um, we're going to talk, um, continue to keep breaking down the four views of intergenerational, or sorry, four views of youth ministry by Mark Centre uh, in relation to intergenerational ministry. And the next one we've got coming up is the inclusive congregational approach but first uh Stu, you were going to help us out with a cultural artifact today that kind of applies to what we're talking about do you want to let us know about that yeah well i thought we'd dive into a, a movie again we've done a few songs talked about bands a bit today i thought maybe what we could do is talk about the movie blended with adam sandler and drew barrymore a bit of an old movie now but i think it's around 2010 something like that that it came out um the, the premise of the movie is uh two families try and blend together and drew and Adam Sandler get together and then they try and bring their kids along. It's just a bit of a funny movie. Some people really hate it. Apparently it's their least liked movie. But the reason I thought it was fun to bring up is I just love Adam Sandler and I'm probably that generation. Um, my, one of my favourite movies is Happy Gilmore. I love Wedding Singer, so almost like anything he does after that's cool. So I just love watching him, actually. He's hilarious. But, um, yeah, so that movie is, is about two families that go on holidays together and they have all sorts of adventures trying to see if they can get all the kids to get on. And I thought that was kind of relevant for today because we're talking about how do we blend different generations and how do we blend people in church a bit. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, be good to have a watch and let us know if you think it's no good or not, or if you, like me, think it's all right. <laughs> Is um, your love of Adam Sandler, or in particular Wedding Singer, because it's rooted in the 80s and Stu? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, two of my favourite decades are the 80s and the 90s and... Um, yeah, Happy Gilmore came out in the 90s and The Wedding Singer did as well, but it was about the 80s and it's hilarious, yeah. Especially references to Van Halen breaking up and uh, things like that. Table, table nine. Table nine, <laughs> table yeah. Nine. They go to a wedding in The Wedding Singer yeah. and he's, well, he's a wedding singer. So <laughs> he uh, has a breakup himself actually in that movie and then uh, again another movie worth watching. But there's this funny scene where he talks about uh, all the people that you kind of have to invite to your wedding, but you don't really want to, and they're all stuck on table nine. And ever since that movie, um, I, I tend when I get invited to a wedding, I tend to get invited to table nine at people's <laughs> weddings. And that's been a running joke for many years. Yeah, I'm sure and, you've been to a few weddings. Yeah, well, Ethan, my son, and Katie are about to get married next year, so if I'm not on table nine, I'll be super disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. You just have to rearrange the table numbers just to make sure you're table nine when you're on the there family. A, yeah, there was a rumour that Ethan was suggesting that maybe um, they might have every table called table nine. I don't know if he's going to go ahead with that, but I'd be very proud if he did that. 9A, 9B, 9C. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how we do it. All right, let's get into it. The inclusive congregational model, Tim. You always give us a great summary to begin with, and you told me that you reread. The chapter last night so you sound like you're the best prepared to tell us um what this, <laughs> what this approach is going to be oh yeah i've been trying to reread the chapters before we come on um i said to joel just before that yeah i want to do a good service to the authors by representing their views as helpfully as i can so i'm trying to refresh myself on that um so yeah malinell um he uh puts forward the inclusive congregational approach um, and basically his premise is that he wants to uh, remove the idea that youth ministry is a separate ministry of the church, uh, that it's not something unique and different. Uh, it's not something that is done by experts um, where everyone else in the church can just kind of sit back and know that, oh, yeah, the youth leaders look after the teenagers. That's great. Uh, we don't have to worry about them. Uh, he wants to get rid of that and say, no, 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 the 
all the adolescents in the church are all of the church's responsibility. And so he wants to include the teenagers in every aspect of the church. Uh, so there's a lot of resonances there with what we've talked about in terms of being an all-age, all-stage church. Uh, very much he would uh, be in line with what we've been saying in terms of children and young people, uh, the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. So we, we don't separate them out. Uh, they're not just a separate arm of the church over in that room over there. Uh, they're actually with everyone else. And if it's good enough for the adults, it's good enough for the teenagers. So he's really keen to make sure that they are seen as valid um, and not just valid valid um, consumers of the things that the church goes on, but valid contributors as well. Um, he says there's no reason that teenagers uh, particularly can't be involved in every aspect of the church's ministry. And so he kind of wants to flatten it out. Um, and uh, in a good way, we could um, we would be very aligned in the raising up of young people um, as being genuine participants in the church, um, not being separated out, but actually being included in. Uh, there's a lot of good things there. Um, uh, there are some pushbacks as well, but I just thought, yeah, that's probably a good place to start is where we would, would resonate with Mal and Nell's um, approach. Um, Stu, what, what was your first impressions when you read Mal and Nell's uh, chapter in the 90s? Yeah, when I first read it, I, was, I found it refreshing that someone was talking about including different generations in the same gathering. And because I, I actually, in, uh, as I remember anyway, I think he was the first person that I'd come across that was thinking in a similar way to us in the 90s that I'd read. So, yeah, I devoured that chapter. Uh, but as I read it, like you said, there were some points of difference. But the thing that is really cool is the principle that children and youth are the uh, the church now and that we can do things together rather than hive them off into some separate area of the church and making them only the responsibility for youth leaders or kids leaders. I think that um, there's a lot of professionalization in our culture these days where we pay people to do things and I think even though we don't pay our youth and kids leaders to look after the teenagers although we do have uh, uh, paid youth ministers and paid uh, kids ministers in our churches a lot of the youth leaders kind of take that role like a school teacher would or so I, I worry sometimes that uh, in the homogeneous unit principle that people can abdicate their abrogate is that the word their responsibility uh, for spiritual oversight of young people that um, this this model says, yes, parents are the primary spiritual caregivers for their children, but also all the adults in the church, all the safe adults in the church actually can have a role in helping to bring up the young people. Um, there's the old adage that it takes a village to bring up a child. And when we first came across this, we were already having children being born into the youth leadership team of Soul Revival, and we were really keen to have them grow up with us. And for them to not only have their parents and their youth leaders and their kids leaders looking after them, but to get to know all the, the adults and, uh, in, the, in the community. So that, that was a really, I, th I think the, the chapter for me was a permission giving moment that this is a good thing, that we're on the right track. So I thought that was really helpful at the time. Yeah, the family, the family aspect sounds quite interesting. I, I like it how you've got the uh, children are just as important as everyone else. Uh, children and youth, sorry, are just as important as everyone else. Um, you also have the, the family aspect, is what I was saying, sorry. The family aspect of where, where do we, we align ourselves, I think, in terms of an intergenerational approach with the, um, uh, the family idea of that we can all help raise everyone up and disciple everyone as a family would. Where do we perhaps, um, in terms of the shock absorber model, diverge from this approach by Mal Nell. Can you, because um, I know that Tim, you, you know, you've done a lot of research. You've, you've um, recently brought up Piaget and those kind of things. So you know a lot about children's um, development. I feel like that might be where we maybe diverge a little bit. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, so Mellon actually doesn't really go into a lot of pragmatics again in his chapter. So his chapter is very much driven by uh, the theological uh, impulse to make sure that churches are doing um, what churches should do well. Um, and so because he's uh, really rightly and helpfully driven by his theological um, foundations, he then doesn't actually go into a lot to explain what this might look like. Um, so it could be that uh, you interpret Malinel as saying, well, therefore you shouldn't have youth and children's ministries. You actually shouldn't have any... Um, 
any part of your church which is specifically catering towards children and youth. Now, he doesn't say that in his chapter, and I, actually there are some hints that he still agrees with um, having some moments where you are particularly age-specific and age-sensitive. Um, but that is the pushback um, that we would have um, and that you know, a number of the authors in the chapter um, also come back at Mal and Nell is, yes, but uh, it, it's lovely to think of children and young people as the church of today. It's great that adolescents can be um, inclusively included in the whole congregation. We want to affirm all of that. Um, however, teenagers are not just other adults. Um, there are There is something unique about the developmental stages of adolescence. There's something unique about childhood. Um, and so while you could use um, an inclusive congregational approach to say, therefore, we're going to remove all age-sensitive ministries, uh, as I said, it's not what Malin's saying, but also we would want to uh, affirm those aspects as well. So I thought it would be interesting um, today to talk not just about uh, our intergenerational expressions, but also our age-specific expressions. How are we actually seeking to do children's and youth ministry as age-specific ministries, um, but still have that shock absorber edge to them? I think that's an interesting question for you, Stu, as a youth minister for a very long time. When you, you re- said you found that chapter uh, to be permission-giving, but also as a youth minister, did you think you needed to get rid of youth ministry or was it an idea that you thought you might consider? Yeah, I mean, in the 90s, we were experimenting, so we were open to new ideas. But as we thought more about it, uh, I think what Tim's saying is really correct, that there's a lot of good reasons to give teenagers and children healthy environments where they can uh, uh, be together and be learning together at their age-specific stage. But also, it's uh, important for them to be able to be teenagers together and to uh, to think about just having everyone together all the time might be a little stifling for the teenagers to actually explore and experiment for themselves as well. Can you underpin a little bit more of that child development um, that you're talking about, Tim? Yeah, so um, this is not an area that I'm super proficient in, but basically there's a number of the theorists who have scientifically and psychologically, sociologically looked at what we all kind of know intuitively. You, you don't talk to a five-year-old the same way you talk to a 15-year-old the way you talk to a 50-year-old. Uh, we, most of us are intuitive um, and we know that we relate to different ages in different ways. Uh, we can observe that there are different um, life experiences that children go through, teenagers are going through, young adults are going through, uh, our senior saints are going through. Um, there's a guy called Eric Erickson, which is um, who's mapped out um, the life stages from sort of you know birth to uh, death, um, and sort of the the different ways in which um, people go through different transition moments. So again, there's a lot of scholarship on this, um, none of which I'm particularly <laughs> proficient at. But uh, as I said, basically pointing out what we all know intuitively that there are different stages of life, and there are times where um, you are going to want to relate to particular ages and stages and demographics in particular ways. Um, Again, it it would be possible to think that intergenerationality uh, is only expressed by having everyone together all the time. Um, And what I've observed is that often what that means is we're asking children and teenagers to put up with adult expressions of church. Um, And so we don't actually intentionally catering for children and teenagers, um, but actually we're just talking as if we're all talking to adults. Uh, We're using language and metaphors, musical styles, liturgical styles, um, mannerisms, all sorts of things, which are adult and saying, oh, we're being intergenerational, we're being intergenerational because we're forcing kids and teenagers to sit through these adult forms of worship. Um, that would be a very anemic way of doing intergenerational ministry. Um, and so there are times when we do want to all come together uh, at our church. We have a number of those moments um, weekly, uh, seasonally, yearly, uh, which that happens. Um, but we're also recognising that actually, you know, there are, as you said, there are times when preschoolers uh, need to hang out as preschoolers and be able to learn about Jesus and express faith in ways that are appropriate to preschoolers. There are ways where um, junior high or senior high, it's appropriate for them to do activities, uh, have learning styles, have worship experiences, be able to 
know God, express their love for God, express their obedience to God in ways that are age and stage um, appropriate. And so intergenerational ministry doesn't exclude those things. Um, what it's looking for is ways in which you're including, uh, intentionally bringing generations together um, while still also doing those um, age-sensitive ministries as well. Yeah, it's something that we talk about uh, a lot on the Shock Absorber is the uh, listening to youth because as uh, you've said before that often people don't get listened to in the church until their 30s and 40s, whereas we think it's really important inter- intergenerationally to listen to the youth. I almost feel like this model that we're talking about, the inclusive congregational, is still not really listening to the youth. It's saying oh, the youth now need to actually just come into our adult environment and just be like us again. It's almost like we're talking about the homogeneous unit principle again. It's like we'll, they will grow up the same as, as we want them to, but we're not allowing the cultural influence that they're experiencing to come into the church and to understand what they're going through as well. Would you agree with that, Stu? Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that we've referenced before that Mark Center in his book, The Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry, talks about the fact that as culture changes, young people are often at the forefront of that cultural change and they work out together what a good ministry response could be to this cultural change. So it's young people and people who minister to them that work out those new responses going all the way back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution uh, in the early 1800s in England where uh, there was a mass migration from the villages to the cities and people trying to work out how to bring up all these young people without the village setting that was a very stable way of passing on the gospel from one generation to the next. Um, interestingly, that set a, a model for future cycles of youth ministry where young people and ministry to them continues to find new ways of coming up with cultural responses to change. I think the possible limitation of uh, the, the inclusive congregational approach is, does it give young people a, a space where they can actually talk together about creating experiments of Christian expression that they can work out together in the youth context that they can then share with the adult community. So if they're only coming together with adults all the time, I think it doesn't give them as much freedom to experiment. And uh, like the preparatory approach that we've already looked at, it's almost assumed that they won't experiment, that they'll just be like us and be with us. So I think, yeah, there needs to be a space for young people to experiment. And then there needs to be a second space for us to communicate together. So I think in the shock absorber approach, we, we haven't uh, seen the space for teenagers as um, pushing them out of the church and giving them a different space to be ministered to in, but actually to give them a space to minister to in that can then be a reciprocal uh, feedback loop to the adults where new ideas that come out of the youth ministry that can be experimented in youth ministry can, uh, the successful principles that come out of those experiments can be passed on. Uh, that's the story of our Soul Revival youth community that then uh, set down a lot of experimental principles that were then used for the Soul Revival Church experiment. So if we hadn't had that 20-year experience in youth ministry, uh, we wouldn't have come up with a lot of the ideas that we found. Uh, We would have just been passing on what, uh, I suppose, a a late 80s, early 90s expression of church was to each subsequent generation. Uh, One of the reasons that the church is finding it hard to adjust to change is that we we haven't given young people enough permission to experiment. And then as they experiment, we need to work with them and give them that theological framework uh, and work together with the generation. So, yeah, so I don't think it's an either or. I think the uh, the inclusive congregational approach in a way is a corrective to the homogeneous unit principle. And it's trying to go back to a pre-industrial context where people did live in community, in villages. And there's some good things to re uh, explore and to recapture from that experience. But I think it could be an overreaction to the homogeneous unit principle. And I think the, the there are uh, some people I talk I'm to, in sure the, I... some people I speak to in that space of intergenerational ministry that would, well, I've actually had someone say to me that, oh, I think Soul Revival is transitioning from the homogeneous unit principle towards the intergenerational because some people think that intergenerational is we do everything together all the time. But I'd like to push back on that just a little bit and say I think that you can do intergenerational ministry well as well as giving young people spaces to uh, explore um, being a Christian in their age uh, group as well. Tim, did you want to jump in on that too? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, some of the comments you you made there, Stu, that 
there's a, a nice distinction between what we looked at last week with Mark Center's strategic approach uh, and Mal and Nell's in, um, inclusive congregational approach. Um, Mark Center almost overemphasizes the cultural distinctives and says that they're insurmountable. And so therefore you start a new reality, a new church out of the youth ministry um, because the, the older people and the young people are, are not going to be able to blend together. Um, they're not going to have the blended family experience. Um, and so therefore the best thing to do is to siphon them off and to start a new reality. Um, and Mark Sinner said um, in that chapter that almost every 10 years that they should be budding off a new reality from there that's set because the cultural and sociological distinctives are so uh, massive that nothing short of a revolution will actually fix that. Um, Malinell is almost way over the other side where he underplays any of those cultural distinctives. Um, it's almost uh, inconceivable to him that teenagers and old people won't just happily get along with everything they do together in church and that they therefore putting them all in the same space um, without addressing those cultural and developmental distinctives. Um, it's, it's almost this uh, kind of utopian idea that uh, this, it wouldn't it be lovely if they all just kind of get along. Um, but uh, not... Um, but yeah, I think one of the things we're trying to say is yes, those intergenerational uh, discipleship, those intergenerational moments are very, very significant. We want to um, err towards those things and we want to be thinking intergenerationally um, in all of our ministries, including our age-specific ministries. Uh, and yet having those age-specific ministries are also very significant in their own right. I think that was, um, as to your point, Tim, the a perfect example that you were saying, Stu, is that it, it almost... Um, goes back to being in a village but we no longer live in a village anymore in the cultural expression mm. so that's where it kind of maybe really comes up against something that doesn't really help it very much mm. my question was going to be though we we want to obviously involve children and youth and we think they are the um, part of the church right now not just the future how do we allow within an intergenerational ministry, how do we allow children to be children and teenagers to be teenagers at certain times I'm sure like across your different ministries, we've got a lot of examples that you might be able to help people out and understand what we're trying to talk about. So in terms of um, what we actually do in terms of age yeah, ministries? Yeah, sorry, or some examples that we can give people. Yeah, so um, in one sense, if you come to um, one of our weekend gatherings, um, uh, particularly a Saturday night um Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, those, there's four services over those three time slots. Um, what you'll notice in terms of children's ministry might look very similar to um, churches who are not being intentionally all age or stage. So as you arrive, um, there's, I mean, there's always a meal attached. It might be breakfast for the morning ones, dinner for the afternoon ones. Um, but the children are in a separate space. So they're learning um, in ways that are age-specific, age-sensitive. Um, they're able to learn about Jesus, uh, read the Bible, explore the Bible. Uh, they're able to express faith with songs and prayers, um, acts of service, which are targeted towards their developmental stage. Um, and then the larger those groups are, the more we're able to differentiate again. So some of our children's um, groups on those time slots are quite small, so everyone's just together there might be only a small handful of kids seven or eight kids um, and some of those um, gatherings the kids are, it's a larger group it might be 20 to 30 and so we're able to split into you know preschool or late preschool and you know lower primary upper primary um, and again you allow that for differentiation uh, in those kind of things um, so in that way there's not a lot of difference you might notice at first glance between those things um, but then what happens uh, in each of those spaces is that we don't just have the kids leaders uh, in those groups. Uh, there are those who uh, have a particular role as a kids leader. Um, and so they're the ones who are thinking about the curriculum, the programming, um, any of the, the songs and the prayers and the, the craft and activities that might be done with those kids that are age specific. Um, but we also have in those groups um, what we call chill leaders. Now, chill leaders are people from throughout the congregation um, and they're not uh, directly on our kids' team. We don't, they're not kids' leaders, they're chill leaders and their whole responsibility during those gatherings is to be a friend with kids. 
And so they come in and they play board games or they might take the kids out for a game of soccer in the car park or um, they might be just in amongst the kids while the kids' leader is the one leading the prayer or reading the, leading the Bible time. But the chill leader might be there sitting amongst them helping the kids to find their Bibles. Um, and that, what we're trying to do there is we're um, trying to say what Malinel is saying is that the whole congregation is responsible for the raising of kids. Um, at Soul Revival. Uh, every safe adult, uh, the dream is every safe adult at Soul Revival is involving kids chill in some way because we want those, every safe adult to be involved in the lives of kids. We want the kids to know them um, and we want that village feel to actually when the kids walk in the door, they can recognise all the faces. Oh, that was a person who played Play-Doh with me. Oh, that was a person who helped me find James in the Bible when I couldn't find it. Oh, that's the person who took me out and played soccer. Um, and so they're actually understanding all of these different relationships. So we then are intentionally bringing generations together uh, in order to do that. And so that's one way, particularly of our, our children's ministry on our Saturday, Sunday, Sunday afternoon um, gatherings where we're trying to do that balance. There is age-specific ministry and it's done with an intergenerational lens. It's done with bringing the whole congregation together and saying all of us have this responsibility. We don't um, abdicate children over to those leaders over there and therefore we don't have to think about them. Isn't it great that the kids' leaders look after kids? Uh, we don't have to worry about them now. So no, no, no. All of us are responsible. All of us are engaged. It's not just a child-minding service kind of thing. We well, that's to... another thing again, yeah, is, is that um, we're, it's not just child-minding. Um, I mean, I've got a very high view of children's ministry and the, the potential mm. for children's ministry to raise genuine disciples and to reach out missionally to those who are not yet friends with Jesus. Um, so it's definitely not just babysitting. Um, we're not just, uh, you're not just on a roster because everyone needs to be on a roster so that the kids can get looked after so that they don't annoy us in big people's church. Like we're not trying to do that whatsoever. We're actually trying to say, no, no, we're intentionally building all genuine, yeah, safe adults into um, from our church into our children's lives. Uh, so if you're... 15 to 95, uh, we want you to be engaged in the kids' lives. We want them to know you and for you to know them um, because it's good for you and it's good for them. It's good for their um, growth and discipleship. It's great for your discipleship. Um, and it's expressing all the things that we've talked about over the last few episodes about intergenerational ministry. It's also like a really great way of, uh, I think, embracing difference. This is something else we've talked about. Is yeah, absolutely. Children are so much younger than us, right? We're gonna, we want to embrace how they're, they're different or how they're growing up. Another way of embracing difference too, Stu, is obviously your experience in youth ministry and uh, now in, as a senior minister is uh, Tim's game is a, a great perspective of, of um, children of a, a certain age, uh, especially because his children's pastor here at Soul Revival Church. But also, Stu, can you perhaps um, expand on that in a way that Tim did for um, teenagers and youth? Yeah, and I suppose before I do the teenage thing, just a couple more things I'd love to add about the Kids Chill program. Uh, if you're not from uh, our uh, area in Sydney, chill just means chill, relax. You, you pro <laughs> it's fairly vernacular in our culture to say chill. Uh, the the idea of the, the kids program was uh, developed by Jenny Redman when we first started as a launch team back in the 2011. And Jenny's idea uh, with me was particularly when we first started, we only had 30 people in our church and about five children was how do we do kids ministry well? And how do we liberate ourselves from the idea that we have to do everything within the hour of a church service? So the, the, uh, the Kids Chill program uh, has not only the kids uh, teachers teaching kids, but uh, what we originally did on a Saturday night and the way Saturday nights developed at Soul Revival is we have the kids program before church uh, while parents are having a coffee. And then what that does is when church starts, um, parents can make a decision whether they want to bring their kids into church or not. If they'd like to, their kids can come into church. But particularly for parents whose kids are a bit busy and they find that it would be um, uh, great for them to continue to hang out with other kids. On Saturday night, we actually do the kids chill program after the kids teaching program. So rather than have the kids chill leaders go into the program uh, during the kids teaching time, uh, during church, the idea is not that it's always been successful. And if you talk to Jenny about it, she and Dan, her husband, have spent many times trying to, to get this to work. And it, it's it's a new uh, way of doing things that's, that's hard for people to get in their heads. But this idea of 
it, we've got used to the idea of an intergenerational ministry of children coming into the adult space, but we, we don't get our head around. Maybe sometimes the adults can go into the kids space to have that conversation about faith, to learn from them a bit too, and to, to uh, just develop safe relationships with them. So what we've done is before church, the kids teaching time on Saturday night for half an hour. And then during the service, some of the kids come into church, but a lot of the kids stay in the kids chill program that runs through the church service on a Saturday night. And the chill leaders spend time hanging out with them, doing those craft ideas or, or playing handball or whatever, getting to know them. And not only uh, do we ask the volunteers at church to be a part of that, but also the pastors. So um, a quick story from me. I remember the first time I did kids chill, uh, I had a bunch of uh, young teenagers in year seven, uh, who, who year six, sorry, who were just about to come into high school. And we were just sitting around talking and one of the, young girls, a name, a girl by the name of Anna said, oh, you know, I'm a bit worried about an exam I've got this week. And it was really cool because we prayed for her. And then the next week when she came into church, as she was coming in, I wasn't on Kids Chill the next week because I do it once a term. Uh, but the next week she came in, I said, oh, Anna, how did you go with that exam last week? And she said, oh, thanks for remembering, Stu. That's really cool. Yeah, I did actually all right. And it was great we prayed because I felt more calm about it. So I think that's a really good example of how that Kids Chill idea whether it's happening while the teaching program's happening or as we do on Saturday night, it's a separate part of the night for the kids. It's actually a really good way for adults and children to develop safe relationships. And what I'd like to add on that is uh, at Solis, we've thought if we have um, the formal service for an hour and we have the kids teaching time before that, the whole community comes together for dinner after the kids teaching time chill and the service so after the service we have dinner on a saturday night and that that is another opportunity for all of us to be together as a church and one last thing i'd like to say is that it's quite common for people to be thinking how can we use children creatively in our church services and we think that's a good idea but we have tended not to go for the traditional kids spot or the kids talk in church and bring all the kids in for that uh, or just have them come in for part of the service and leave because um we think that particularly for a kid's teaching spot, while that's that can be helpful sometimes, even that talk can only hit a certain demographic of a certain age group of kids. So we might be thinking as adults, oh, yes, we're doing intergenerational ministry by having a kid's spot in church. But it might be that most of the kids don't get it because it's only the kids in year three and four that get it or, or whatever. So what we've done, is, um, which we might talk about in a minute too, is say four times a year we bring the whole church together for Easter, for Christmas, we have a week away holiday where the kids come into church. We also could do this better, but our idea is that we want kids to read the Bible and to pray in church and to have uh, chances for the older kids particularly to do that, to have kids maybe present about what they're doing in church as well sometimes. So we do have involvement with children in church and we have the Kids Chill program where we go into their space. But remember that that dinner afterwards is a really good time every week where everyone can get together. And I think I've told the story before, but I remember my mum, Bev Crawshaw, once she got her dinner after church and she was walking to the tables and young Pippa, a young girl in primary school, was holding a hand and she had her dinner in her other hand. And as they walked past, I thought that was a very cute scene. But also thought it was cute because I heard Pippa say, oh, Aunty Bev, can you come and have dinner with me tonight? Because you're always talking to other people and I want to have a conversation with you myself tonight. And I thought that was really cool. So obviously the Kids Chill program had developed their friendship to a point where because Bev's a kids chill person and she got to know her enough to then sit down and have dinner with her and I thought that was terrific so yeah it's just creating that that space for people to have a conversation about faith uh, now you know you ask the question about uh, teenagers the the idea of teenagers before I go into some of the specifics of that what what again Jenny and I experimented with on Friday night was what if we did the senior primary school group in year five and six on a Friday night at 4.30 to say six o'clock, then have a dinner on Friday night from six to, to 7.30. And then from, oh no, sorry, I've got those times wrong, from six to seven. And then from six to, uh, after dinner, we could have a service where the kids could stay if their parents were happy for them to. But as the dinner happened, that the teenagers start coming for dinner with their parents and families. And we have, even though we have on a Friday night, a space for the kids uh, in year five and six, 
they then get an opportunity to hang out with the teenagers and the, the adults for dinner. And then what we do is we have a half an hour service on a Friday night before the youth group starts. And after the half an hour service, which includes the five and six kids and the teenagers and adults, it's an intergenerational service, not just age-specific youth service that adults go to. We then have Bible studies after that where we break up into groups. And then after that, we have the youth group. Now, if that sounds a little bit complicated, it's actually quite uh, fluid and it's quite um, grassroots and it feels really organic. And it actually gives people an opportunity to make a few connections between those two groups. The other thing it does is it lets kids in year five and six be a part of the service every week. So even though on our Saturday night and Sunday night and afternoon services, the kids aren't regular contributors on Friday night, by the time they hit year five and six, they're actually really getting engaged with ministry because we want to get young people to serve as well as be ministered to in our in our model. So yeah, I just wanted to say that as a way of just jumping between the children's piece and the youth ministry piece. I mean, Tim, before I jump into youth ministry, have you got any more thoughts on some of those things that I've shared? Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way that you and Jenny set up this idea about that you don't have to do everything in that um, service time. Uh, and so that kind of frees us up to experiment with lots of other bits and pieces. And so um, I remember when we first started as a church, one of the things we would say um, is we were very intentional about saying we don't have dinner after church. We have dinner as part of church. And so mm. it wasn't that um, church is now over um, and now we're going to move to a different non-church time, which happens to be dinner. It was like, no, 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 church is from five o'clock till midnight on a sun, on a Saturday. Uh, and you, you, you come for the bits that you're able to come for. Um, part of what we do when we come to church is the gathering and we, we sing and we pray and it looks like a very typical kind of service. But we were very intentional with our language as we tried to train the people, particularly those who uh, were not uh, coming who weren't Christians or hadn't experienced church before uh, and for those who may have been joining us from other churches who had had a particular idea in their mind about what church was that no 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 these these kids chill times these dinner times the hangout we have afterwards the coffee and cake we have before all of that is church um, because all of and that frees us up to think okay I've got to fit in uh, intergenerational moments and I've got to fit in uh, kids teaching time and I've got to fit in adult teaching time and all of this stuff has got to be done within a one hour package um, other otherwise people will be frustrated um, but also you know they won't be fed with all the things we need to feed them with would there be a legacy of the homogeneous unit principle that we have to fit it in within an hour guys what do you reckon not necessarily, um, because I think that might more. Uh, Jim might have wisdom on this, but I think it's probably more about a sort of an Anglo-Western um, ideas of efficiency um, and timeliness and those kinds of things. Um, certainly, I've, I've got a very limited experience uh, with uh, non-Anglo cultures, but I did um, have the opportunity of one trip over to Uganda with my last boss a um, number of years ago. Uh, and so in that culture, we, we did church you know, for hours and hours on end. Um, and that was, that was normal. That was just their cultural expression. They weren't um, fixated on efficiency. They weren't fixated on um, definite start and finish time. And if I haven't finished by then so I can get on with the rest of my Sunday, um, that you know, you're doing something wrong as a pastor. Uh, they just had a much more fluid idea. Um, I don't know, Stuart, have you got ideas on that? Yeah, I think the, the idea of a, a service, a formal service that goes for about an hour is quite an ancient idea within um, Western culture. Uh, it comes from our Catholic background of originally, but then when uh, the Anglican Church started in England, it, it wrote a, they wrote a prayer book, Kremlin wrote a prayer book, and the prayer book went for about an hour. And that was a liturgy that people went through week after week. But what you've got to remember is that prayer book that was written five, uh, sorry, 400 years ago was written into a context of the village life. So the, the village life rotated around the church. So even though the formal service only went for an hour, people would have continued to have fellowship with one another every day, actually. And in the prayer book, there is actually room for the, the, the community to gather in the mornings every weekday to start the day with church and then go out into their day and, and conduct. And I think what we've done is we've just reduced down church to that one hour and we haven't thought through the fact that we don't live in a village where we spend a lot of time with each other anymore. That's why at Soul Revival we talk about the third place theory where we try and say uh, consciously recognise that people live 
in the first place is their home. They work in a second place, which is often a different place to their home. And the third place, their community space is another place again. So we've, we've uh, sought to be a third place as a church and maybe give people more of that village time either side of church, whether it be on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever day it is, whatever's appropriate, um, to give people more time to enact the one another passages and express their 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 unity in Christ that he won for us. Um, so uh, I, the other thing that I think exasperated that one hour limit was the church growth movement in the 1970s made a massive point about people are busy, they don't want to spend too much time in church, make it efficient. So if you're going over an hour, you're inefficient, let's make it as tight as we can. And I think, unfortunately, the side effect of that is people uh, have thought that they can just squeeze church into their regular lifestyles together. But what we've done with Solis is we say, yeah, come for an hour if that's all you can do. But if you can stay, we're going to hang out with each other and we're going to chill together. Um, The reason we don't have kids chill on Sunday morning is we, we weren't sure if starting the teaching time a half an hour before a 9.30 service on a Sunday was starting too early. But Tim and I are still talking about that. And we'd love your comments. love to hear your thoughts on that because we're going to be continuing to talk with the team on Sunday morning because the good thing about having kids chill together is, you know, that's a great opportunity on Sunday morning and that might be the way we continue on. But another exciting thing could be that it might include more adults from the Sunday morning service in that program if we had it during the service and they went into the kids space once a term to get to know them. And also it would get, it, the good thing about kids chill is it gives the kids leaders an opportunity to go to church themselves rather than having to not be fellowshipping with the rest of the body. So yeah, even that is still an experiment underway that, that Tim and I and Jenny Rigger and others are, are working on uh, together. Um, but coming back to the, uh, the, the benefits of having that broader time space, uh, they far outweigh some of the cost. I mean, growing up, I remember having a cup of tea and a sandwich after church or a cup of tea and a biscuit after church on a Sunday morning. And then, you know, much of the conversation was about, oh, what are you doing next or where are you going next rather than spending time together. And that conversation might only be 15, 20 minutes and then we'd be off to the next thing. What we're trying to create uh, with Soul Revival is a breakfast before church on Sunday morning then sets up a really nice relational dynamic that after church, even though we're just having a cup of tea and a biscuit after church, people can sometimes go home at 12 because this, there's this now understanding that we're coming to be together, not just come for an hour service and then move on. So it does create more opportunity for an intergenerational context if you can create spaces of relationship um, for people to stay a bit longer. And I love that um, um, at those times you're talking about the meal times is that when we all come together as a village, in a sense, as the children join us for dinner, um, mm. the teenagers join us for dinner, and then all the adults are all having dinner together too. So I think that's yeah. a, and to eat around a meal, and obviously you learnt, that was one thing you learnt from our Indigenous brothers and sisters, but they were mm. they're always meeting around a feed, which was really cool. Um, but, uh, and also just to bring it back, I know I hijacked your, your point a little bit before, Tim, but it was, it's the, um, Devolving that idea of ourselves having to be limited to an hour and then broadening it out so we can have that village vibe, village vibe, but a village or family atmosphere. Um, how did, in your research, have you seen that um, that's, that helps children's development as they grow up into a church? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's certainly what I want to be exploring as I do further study on this. That's exactly the question I'm asking is, what is it about the um, corporate nature of the community that comes together at church that actually fuels um, children's faith development Um, because there's certainly um, a lot of uh, non-religious, non-Christian research that says uh, the importance of other people um, in building a child's sense of self and their their values and their beliefs um, and the communities that they are in, um, the, the 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 ecology, the relational ecology of the children, uh, if you want to go fancy terms. Um, but the people, basically the people who are around kids do help fuel them. Um, we know that the most significant um, other relationships that kids have are the the household unit. So those who are within the household have the most significant um, influence on children and, and even teenagers. Um, we often notice in adolescence that uh, 
they start looking more towards peers than they do towards their parents. But actually, there's quite a lot of research that says even as they're doing that, it's the relationship that their parents have with them as they go through that moment that is still really, really significant. Um, so uh, the, the household always remains the most significant um, influence, uh, but the congregation is also a really significant influence as well. Um, and as Stu has said on a number of occasions, the, the way the you do, do children's and youth ministry really does shape the entire church, um, both now but also into the future as you are growing up those kids. Um, and so, yeah, so there is, uh, there's a growing amount of research on through intergenerational ministry. Um, interestingly, there's a number of people who are particularly looking at the idea of um, table fellowship and meals and trying to re-involve um, that idea. So, um, again, there's not a lot of parallel thinking there of what we've been doing and we've learnt from our Indigenous brothers and sisters. There's people all over the globe going, oh, what if we actually had a meal together after church? Um, it's like, yeah, it's great. It's, it's awesome that lots of other people in many different contexts are also thinking those thoughts. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an area of um, emerging research, I suppose. I think um, a, a personal reflection on that is that I remember reading an article about uh, there was a study done that uh, people that uh, children that had more of a, a closer relationship with their grandparents as they were growing up ended up being more well adjusted and more. Um, uh, what would be the right word in terms of like uh, seen as um, more well-rounded individuals. And I think of that as someone who didn't have an, an outstanding relationship with pretty much any of my grandparents, to see my children grow up with in that context within a, a whole family of older people, younger people and stuff, is that they will grow up, first of all, with a, a greater knowledge of Jesus and knowing what their effect and he's bringing us together, but also just as people, as individuals, as personalities, they're seeing so many different other people embracing others and embracing mm. difference that I think that it's just a fantastic um, way for them to grow up. Um, Which speaks into the opportunity that different generations have. Uh, being in a highly urban and suburban area where we are, where there is a lot of movement, um, there is going to be a lot of grandparent age people in our churches uh, who do not live in the same locality as their grandchildren. Um, and likewise, there's going to be a whole lot of grandchildren uh, who do not live in the same locality as their grandparents. And so um, while we're not trying to take over that responsibility, it gives a great opportunity for those who are grandparent age uh, in our churches um, to interact with our children uh, in that grandparent type way. Uh, which, as you say, is really beneficial. I've seen that. Uh, I think of one person in particular who's really close to me, um, grew up in a fatherless household. Um, and when his family, uh, his mum uh, brought their family to church, uh, what he found in church through the children's ministry, for the boys' club, uh, through the youth ministry, uh, was not a replacement for dad, but he found a whole lot of father figures who were able to speak really powerfully into his life. There are a lot of parent there are a lot of uh, males his dad's age group who were involved in leading the children's ministry and the boys group um, and so he actually had a huge amount of influence there um, and so that was really significant for him um, that growing up in a fatherless home he um, had a whole lot of father-like figures um, through the church and so the church really stepped up for him it created this broader community um, of people who were able to um, support him, encourage him uh, and walk with him in his discipleship now as a, yeah, a young man of God in his, with his own family. Yeah, Once again, doing that village vibe, but within our particular cultural context, I think is a really important thing that we've been talking about. Mm. Um, Stu, we just, let's just circle back. Um, you can chat about uh, teenagers as well in this uh, mm. uh, all age, all stage model. Do you want to reflect on that for us? Yeah, thanks. Uh, again, developmentally, uh, young people in their teenage years are trying to discover themselves. There's a lot of research that says that it's a really healthy thing for them to uh, be finding other peers that are actually um, going to be really helpful to them as they are discovering who they are as young Christians as they grow up. And so giving young people an opportunity to form relationships within a youth community within the church is actually a really healthy thing for them. Uh, like we said, that doesn't mean that they don't have relationships with adults, but we don't want to respond to the fact that uh, many young people are in youth groups and don't know any adults by shutting down the youth group and only gathering together as the inclusive congregational model suggests would be a good idea. I think it's a really good thing for the young people to have a youth community. And so 
couple of years after we started the church, we did start our own youth community, but we only had one kid when we first started and actually happened to be Ethan, my son. And he just started, asked a few of his friends along and there were some youth leaders there. Uh, but what we said to the youth leaders is rather than young run a youth ministry just for the teenagers, as youth leaders, be a peer group that the teenagers can grow up into as a peer group. So it's almost like the youth ministry is a, a peer group within the family. And the youth ministry in our church being a peer group is led by the fellowship of the youth leaders that they have with each other. And so the young people, uh, yes, have a, a time for themselves, but the youth leaders are really growing them up to become friends with them. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of youth leaders, uh, some, some are older, but a lot of our youth leaders are young adults and they're only five or six years older than the teenagers they're leading. And when the teenagers leave school, uh, an age gap of five or six years isn't that significant. So it actually works really well in our context to see a higher proportion of our young people staying at church because of the deep relationships they make with each other. Uh, we have that group meet on a Friday night, but also then when they hit year 10, they get invited to Saturday night after church, we have dinner. But then after that, we have a group called late night where our young adults will hang out uh, and they actually hang out in safe way. So kids who are still in senior high school in year 11 and 12 um, can come along and meet young adults before they leave school so that they can start uh, being part of a young adult peer group. So we've thought a lot about those transition points. Uh, I already mentioned the transition point between year five and six and high school happens on a Friday night so that the teenagers embrace the children as they start coming into high school and then the young adults are embracing the the teenagers that grow up. But I want to make a point that we don't have a a very clear kids ministry, youth ministry, young adults ministry. Um, we we do for uh, organisational purposes have a, a kids ministry team and a youth and young adults team, but there's not a sense where you leave the youth ministry to join the young adults ministry or you leave the kids ministry to join the youth ministry. Uh, because we have uh, a servant element to our, um, our youth and kids ministry, we think we want to give young people an opportunity to lead. And so we've developed a program under Jenny Rigger called the Light Leader Program that Tim has helped to take on and is now progressing with our internal training program called Berea with Karen Sell and with um, uh, Jen Anderson, some others at our church. What we're doing there is we're saying, what are some spaces we can give teenagers and children an opportunity to serve? And I think that's another area we go a bit beyond the inclusive congregational church model, which says young people participate fully within the gathering or for an hour with the adults. In our model, we actually say we're still developing this element, but we're saying let's get the year five and six kids to be buddies for the younger children. And then when they graduate to high school, they can then go back to the Fuse group, which is their year five and six group on a Friday night to help lead that. And under Anna Ware, they help to lead that group through junior high school. And when they hit senior high school and they go along to our Saturday night young adult community, like I said, they don't leave the youth ministry. They can stay in the youth ministry on a Friday night during year 11 and 12 to help lead the younger teenagers. So there's this really lovely dynamic of adult leaders and teenage leaders and senior primary leaders all being uh, Christian ministers of the gospel in their context. So that's a way for young people to have a voice and it's also for a, young, a way for young people to have a ministry and actually be raised up by us to be part of the ministry team. We're also experimenting with having children and youth come along to our AGMs and our councils to start contributing to our leadership discussions as well. So that, that just picks up on a point that Tim made that church is far more than just an hour a week. And if you see it as more than an hour a week, then all of a sudden you can add some of these really exciting new elements to it that can really enrich a young person's life and help them to lead others and to share uh, the faith of Jesus, uh, the, the, the gospel rather with others. Yeah, I think it's, um, again, I've always said that uh, I love hearing all about this stuff because I totally agree with it, but it's um, it's, only, it's the only kind of uh, church that I've experienced and I think that um, there's a lot of ways you can obviously do church and we don't, we just like to do it in our way, but I would love for us to, to kind of wrap it up. What, what did we take from the inclusive congregation model that was important? Would you say, um, and I, I'd love to hear your final wrap up points on that, I would, my feeling is it's the family and the village vibe that everyone's um, part of the same congregation. There's no, there's no delineation between ages in that respect. But 
then we also need to look at, well, where are people at developmentally, uh, depending on what age they are, and how do we best help them understand Jesus, know Jesus, and be able to disciple them and bring them up and listen to them also is where we probably um, perhaps diverge from that model. Would you agree with that, Tim? Yeah, so I think um, to sort of wrap up uh, the inclusive congregational approach, um, what I think its strengths are, uh, unlike the preparatory approach, which is saying we're going to prepare kids to become eventually part of the church, uh, I think that kind of exacerbates the homogeneous unit principle. It also exacerbates the fact that children aren't really the church of today, um, that they kind of are, but they're you know, kind of on probation and, and they'll eventually graduate into church. Uh, and I think that there's some significant shortfalls there theologically. Um, and also when it comes to actually pragmatics and what happens to children is that they don't feel valued and heard. They're not actually a genuine part of that. So I think there's some significant um, things there. Um, in terms of uh, the strategic approach, we talked about how um, Centaur is sees those cultural and dynamic um, developmental sorry um, uh, differences as so insurmountable that it's worth just splitting off uh, and I think a, a high point of the inclusive congregation is to say no no no, no. We, we don't we're not trying to siphon them off and start a new congregation we're actually wanting to bring them up as part of this church we actually see them as they are this church they're, they're not soon to be when they're old enough they're not uh, so distinct from us that they need to go off and do their own thing um, they, they are part of this church we want them to be part of this household um, but as we've talked about it's the not quite um, recognizing or not allowing for those distinctives which I think is where it, it uh, falls short certainly in this chapter I know Mal Nell has written um, other other stuff and later documents that are probably worth digging into another point um, but yeah, so what we've been trying to be able to do is to hold all those things in tension to say, yes, it's good for us to have age-sensitive ministries where we're able to allow peer groups to be peer groups. Uh, just like it might be really good for you know, all the dads of the church to hang out and resonate in the solidarity of being a dad. Like That's a good thing to be able to do. Um, it's also really good for those dads to hang out with people who were dads you know, two generations ago and to learn from them and also from people who are younger than them who are not yet dads. You know, so it's the saying, yeah, it's it, peer um, expressions uh, are good and there's valuable there and particularly when we think developmentally um, yes you know we want to be able to help the five-year-olds and the 10-year-olds and the 15-year-olds to be able to learn about Jesus express their faith and mission to their friends uh, in ways that are appropriate to their age and stage um, that are culturally relevant for them but we never want to lose sight of the fact that we are a household um, that we are one big family um, and so when we, we, those moments we come together and we bring people together and we intentionally bring the older generations down into the children's space and we say, we want you to get to know each other. We want you to genuinely invest in each other's lives um, through the chill program, through the dinners. Um, they're really, really significant. Um, they're not just nice adults. It really is the guts of what we're trying to do. Part of our intentional DNA to be all age, all stage where children are valued. And um, as we've just started to talk about where they also participate we've mentioned that a few times, where they're genuinely contributing, um, again, in ways that are appropriate to their age and stage. Um, we're not going to ask, you know, five-year-olds to do a extended Bible reading. Uh, they're just, you know, it's not a developmentally appropriate for them. But it might be for the 12-year-old. Um, they, they might be totally capable of doing that. It might be that the five-year-old can, with some brothers and sisters or parents or friends, do some of the prayers together, um, or, you know, bits and pieces like that. So we're looking for ways to be inclusive um, in that way. Fantastic. Uh, Stu, do you want to give us the, your final word? Yeah, I think in summary, I think the inclusive congregational approach reminded us of what we've lost in the Industrial Revolution and then further lost through the homogeneous unit principle and just reminded us that we can recapture some of those intergenerational moments and bring people together again. I like the confidence that the uh, uh, Milan Nell has to bring everyone together and the theological confidence to do that. So it does really ground this idea in scriptures. It's not just a preference. It is a really biblical concept. I think uh, the second thing, though, is that uh, what the inclusive congregational moment gave for us was to, to think, how can we actually do that while still retaining an opportunity for people to have expressions in their age groups? And that's what, what, what actually led us to come up with a new phrase for our church, which is, 
all age, all stage. So our church is for all ages in all stages, but there's a nuance in that phrase that kind of respects the ages and the stages as well as bringing them together as well. So the way we like to think about it is, yes, we are a family, which we'll talk about in uh, coming weeks in the podcast, Family Ministry More, but we are a family, but we're also individuals within that family. And not only are we individuals within that family, we like to think about there's peer groups within that family as well. And we can express that diversity of different relational realities. Yeah, fantastic. That's a really great way to wrap it up. So thank you, Stu. I'm going to say thank you very much to Tim as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, Guys, thank you also for listening. We really appreciate you uh, paying attention to what we've been saying. And um, if you have anything you want to contribute to it, you can either jump on our Discord server, which will be in the show notes, or you can email me at joel at shockazorba.com.au and we can continue the conversation there. Um, If you are interested in more of the content we're putting out at Soul Revival Church, you can have a look on our YouTube channel, uh, where we've have uh, we're doing some digital gatherings right now because that's the only way we can meet um, as a church service. But we're also doing a podcast called the Chip Lunch, which is where we're talking to different uh, people within our church about growing up as a Christian and their experience of doing that. Um, that is on YouTube or on the uh, on your favorite podcast app. So check that out. Um, and we also have a Shockers Orbit conference coming up later this year. So we'll be bringing you more information about that. So. Be, get keen for that because we're excited about that as well um, and also I want to say thanks to Dave our producer he's been working on the cans for us for the last few weeks and he's helping us edit so we appreciate you as well man so thank you very much but to wrap it up I think we can all do as usual a one way one way thank you